Welcome to Culture Eats Strategy. Eats Strategy. With your host, entrepreneur Jamie J. Jamie J. On this podcast, we unpack the most powerful, intangible culture. Culture. Culture is way more than a mission statement or words on a wall. It's how a company behaves. It's what informs every decision, action, and reaction. Culture is the invisible hand, the true north that guides every organization. And if you create a legendary culture, you will build a legendary company. A legendary company. Now, here he is, Jamie J. Jamie J. All right. Welcome back. My name is Jamie J. And this is Culture Each Strategy with yours truly, Jamie J. And I have Ed Epley on today. I'm excited. I'm going to tell you a little bit more about him. Uh, we had a we had a nice conversation. He's a big hockey fan, so I'm already uh, yeah. He already won me over. It's fantastic. Um, I did want to as I know this is evergreen, but as of the day of this recording, the St. Louis Blues just uh, won the Western Conference Finals. You all know what a big hockey fan I am. Um, this is the first time in 49 years that the Blues are going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Ironically. They'd be playing the Boston Bruins, and I wish I had a little sound thing. I'd be pressing boo right now. Boo! 49, boo. Yeah, 49, yeah. <laughs> 49 years ago, they played against the Boston Bruins in the Stanley Cup final. The, the epic picture of uh, Noel Picard tripping Bobby Orr as, uh, as he uh, threw in the game winner there and, and uh, sealed the deal. So we're going to be really hoping for a, a little bit of a different outcome this year. Um, uh, that being said, too, you all know that I appreciate leading with kindness. I'm a big fan of cultures, systems, processes, workflows, anything we can do to help you scale your business effectively um, and, and be able to live a life uh, balance, not a work-life balance, a life balance. And I really believe that implementing uh, these types of systems and processes, one of my mantras, as you all know, is do something as if it's the last time you're ever going to do it. So document, document, document your processes so that if you get to a certain point where you are hiring or expanding or, or, or changing the way that you're doing business, you have exactly what you do written down in step-by-step workflows to where you can hand it off to somebody who can take care of that task 80% as good as you or better. Uh, any questions on that, please reach out to us. Love to, love to answer those questions. I'm going to talk about Ed. So Ed Epley is a leading global expert in professional management, sales strategy, and performance management. He's a principal consultant for the Table Group, a Patrick Lincioni company, and operates the Epley Group. He has worked with executive teams at multinational companies across the U.S., Europe, China, Japan, Australia. His clients, unbelievable, include a who's who of business category, leaders such as BMW, DSW, Sara Lee, Bloomberg, Patel, Goodyear, Tire, and Rubber Company, uh, Speedway, Steamboat, Ski, oh man, Steamboat Ski and Resort Company, that must have been a blast, Value City Furniture, PSA Airlines, Emerson Electric, it goes on and on and on. Uh, he's a lifelong entrepreneur, and Ed started an advertising agency and a manufacturer's rep firm selling to the industrial and construction markets before creating Tyson Epley Management, Prosper X, and the Epley Group. He's also written a book where you can really get inside of Ed's head. Uh, let's be clear. 
And uh, we'll be sharing all of the links and stuff like that uh, on the show notes. But without any further ado, please allow me to introduce the one and only Mr. Ed Evley. How are you, sir? Jamie, I'm wonderful. I've uh, had the pleasure to do a number of podcasts, but I don't know that I've ever had a kinder introduction. So thank you. I, oh, my gosh. <laughs> I am excited uh, on so many different levels. Number one, you're a hockey fan. Uh, and I am. I, I, I love what the Columbus Blue Jackets did this year. Fantastic. So hats off to you. They did really well. Yeah. Well, I, I had so much to do with it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, 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 of course, I'm being very facetious, but I, I'm, trying, I'm trying hard. And I, I, I love the organization. I love what they stand for. And uh, Torts has done a great job of getting the most out of these young, young guys. And, and so I'm excited for next year already. Well, I got it. Uh, yeah, he's 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 pretty amazing. Um, I I love watching his interviews. <laughs> you just never know what's going to happen. <laughs> no, you don't. No, you don't. And and um, they they can never be accused of being boring. So no, um, absolutely they, they, not. Even even when he says nothing, they're not boring. So it's thing <laughs> facially Well, I I read off. Uh, your bio and and some of the background and some of your accomplishments, which is simply unbelievable and amazing and, and congratulations to to having a great uh, career and continuing to do so but I wonder if maybe you can kind of share a little bit more about who you are and what you're doing and uh, yeah uh, I, w- I would be glad to I think I think first things first um, would be uh, I spent the first half of my career the first 20 years of my life really kind of figuring out um, what uh, I probably was good at doing, but also what I knew I didn't want to do. And so at, at about age 40, it, it really became clear to me, one, that I was a terrible employee, that um, I, didn't, I didn't like scaling businesses. I loved starting them. And uh, I had this passion for interacting with others, um, with, um, with people at all levels and, and trying to help them advance. I, I wasn't at that point. I was not so much involved in consulting as I was in the training business because I was an advocational instructor for Dale Carnegie Training up until uh, 1993. In 1993, I, I went full time into the training business. But it was there that I, I'd always been practicing consulting, Jamie, because it was intuitive to me. I just didn't know I was doing it, and I didn't wow. know I could monetize it. So really, from 93 to 2003, I, I really started to really get immersed in the training business. And, and really started to define what my consulting practice might look like. And, and so the last 20, 25 years of my life have, have really been focused on helping companies advance uh, rather than oscillate is the word I like to use. And, and so the best way I, I can give oscillation for a business would really look like your business was sitting in a rocking chair and you were moving but the reality is uh, one year you go forward, the next year you don't and might even go backwards. So ultimately you're still where you were. And, and so my job is to help the organizations with whom I work advance. Um, usually, I, usually I do it in a couple of, of ways. One, I, I take what appears to be complex and I help, help them see that in simple terms or make it simple. And then the second thing is I help them get their head around whether or not the executive talent that they have is really capable of taking them where they want to go. Um, and, you know, not that, not that people aren't talented, but a lot of times, as you know, they're not the cultural fit. Mm. Uh, and, and so they may be the most talented people in the world, but if they aren't bought in to the higher calling or purpose of what this organization's about, they're, it, it ain't going to happen. 
And then the third thing I really do with the CEO or the president or the owner um, at, at almost any level is help them have the courage to act. And please understand, I don't give them the courage, but usually because we've gotten things simplified down to a one or two issues, or we've gotten clarity about what their talent really is or isn't, it gives them permission to do what they probably know they should do anyways. You're just, you're just there for them. Yeah. I think that's fantastic. I, I love that uh, where you talk about companies advancing rather than oscillating. That's almost that two-step forward, one-step back sort of mentality. Yeah. Whereas advancing is one foot after the other. Yeah. I, I like to think of it as kind of, you know, the difference between a powerboat and a sailboat. Mm-hmm. Um, sailboats can make progress into the wind despite not having an engine operating because they're using the wind to their advantage, but they still advance, but they're, it's just not a straight line. And, and a lot of times, as we know in business, it's not linear. It's, oh. it, and, it's, and so often the choices to an owner are not between right and wrong. It's between one choice that has a set of consequences and another choice, another set of consequences. And as I like to say, one sucks less. You know, it's, 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 it's one is, is probably has fewer risks or better risks than the option, other options. And, and that's really what business comes down to. So many business owners don't act because they're looking for a perfect answer when one doesn't exist. Okay, so I, I want to go into these three different things and talk to you a little bit about that. But before we do, before we do that, how are you able to identify um, some of these oscillating? Uh, <laughs> I mean, what are the characteristics of a company that, that you know they oscillate? Yeah, like, I, like are, are, is it easy for you? You just pick it out right away? Or is it? Well, um, there are certain things that really are predicators or predictors of, of where a company is and what most likely would be happening. So, one is how big is the company? Um, how fast are they growing, if at all? And then that, that would be also relative to what's going on in their market. Is their market growing or not? And then the, the last thing would be overlaying on top of that, is this a startup? Are they in growth phase in general? Are they a mature organization or even aging? So if you, if you, if, if you put those dimensions together, there are very typical characteristics that go on when you look at organizations that are in that intersection. Right. And, and, and so once I, like, is this happening? Is this happening? Is this happening? And if they say yes to all of that, well, I can say, well, then you're probably here, aren't you? And, and yeah, that's, that's probably what's going on in your marketplace. Yeah. And, and so all of a sudden then, you know, I know you love systems and processes. Oh, yeah. a, company, a company less than hundred people generally sucks at, at processes. They don't have them written down. They're every, everything's intuitive. There's so much intellectual property that's up in our heads that nobody knows except the person doing the work. Um, and, and a lot of times those organizations, a hundred people and smaller are healthier than they are smart, right? They, they have pretty strong cultures because that's all they have to offer. But the systems and processes are oftentimes their weak link. So, Again, that's a size-driven thing. If I'm dealing with a company with 5,000 employees, I'm not worried about their systems and processes. They have them. They may not. They may not may not be the right ones, but at least they have them. Sure. But what they probably are struggling with is that the teams are dysfunctional because the executives view their function more important than they do the success of the company. Mm-hmm. So, how do you take a complex situation? a ball of yarn that's all tangled up and untangle that. I don't have any choice. 
I don't, I, that is the way my brain works. So anytime I'm looking at anything, my mind is constantly, I've, and, and by the way, I'm glad you're asking the question because other people would say, well, how, how do I learn to do that? I'm not sure you do. Yeah. I'll say that right now. I am, I have been blessed that that's the way my mind works. So anytime I see anything, I'm always boiling it down to the least common denominator. I'm, I'm, I'm I want to get from seven things down to one that most matters. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, my mind won't work until I can do that. So I'm, I'm, I'm forced to say, well, wait a minute. I understand this is going on, but what's driving that? And I, I see patterns very quickly. I see uh, themes that emerge from a conversation with three or four executives uh, all of a sudden, or I'll hear the absence of a theme that causes me to say, wait a minute, you, you got, you're not talking, you, you're talking past each other. You guys and gals have not agreed in advance on certain things as, as the priorities for, for how you're going to make decisions. So it's, it's either the presence of, or the absence of stuff that I see as a theme or a pattern that then causes me to say, well, this is probably where you are. And, um, you know, and also as you get older that I, I really don't care if people like me, I want, them, <laughs> I want them to, I would love sure. them, to, but ultimately my job is still to help you advance rather than be concerned whether you want me to be around or not. So, I'm, I'm unburdened, if you will, by caring whether or not, um, that, that you're pleased with the answer I gave you. Yeah. There's something to be said for honesty. Um, and there's also something to be said. The the third thing here is the CEO, um, where you help them have the courage to act. Yeah. Um, my company is called bottleneck virtual, where we help stop the bottleneck. And the reason that name came up was because I am, was the bottleneck. I was, and I'm okay to admit that now, but then I was not. You're a recovering bottleneck. (laughs) I am. I'm recovering, yes. (laughs) Um, So speaking to that, it's hard for me to go out and seek assistance. Um, We hired a CFO it was so hard for me to open up the books. Really? Um, oh my gosh. What, oh. because you were embarrassed? Oh yeah. I was, oh, okay. they, they, were, they were a mess. It wasn't a lack of humility. It was a, it was embarrassment. Okay. It was, it was embarrassing. And, okay. and, and I have a feeling that many of the people that you're working, they, that you're working with, they need that help. Oh, but it's hard for them to get over their ego perhaps. I, well, Yes and no. Uh, let me give you a let me give you a continuum. But here I am again. I'm giving I'm simplifying things down about perfect about the way in my mind it works. So at one end of the spectrum, you have people in in the that approach it very much from your perspective. And in fact, the smaller the business, usually the more embarrassment people will have about opening the kimono and 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 just for fear that people will see the the house of cards. Yeah. That you think your business is. Yeah. Because you're going, I got no idea how we're staying in business, you know, because I don't want people to know how, uh, how bad my accounting is, or uh, we have no sales process, or, you know, I, or 40% of my business is one, with one customer. I know that's wrong. All those different things. So that's, that's, that's one end of the spectrum. At the other end of the spectrum is people are embarrassed I, I could take you to a person that's running a multi-billion dollar company who would be embarrassed for people to know how little this person knows about leadership and management. Wow. 
wow. he, he would he would really be ashamed for others to be aware that you know I'm in this position I have this responsibility but I would never want to admit to anybody how ill prepared I believe I am to run an organization of this caliber wow so it's and it's not a it's not a humility issue because the gentleman is very humble but at the same time he, he would be afraid of everybody losing confidence uh, in him and the organization. And it, you know, it would, would have a catastrophic effect on it. But the, the truth is he's gone. I really didn't sign up to run a business this big, but here I find myself. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it's, it's tough. It's tough. So when do people reach out to you? Like, when is that? Is, is, have you seen some kind of a theme or some kind of a, it, 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 do people just finally hit a wall or are they looking maybe to grow or? Well, it's, it, I probably have always been a um, intuitive networker okay. um, because I possess, besides my ability to make complex things simple, I have an innate curiosity that follows me around like a, a like a, a, a little thing, guy, gal, uh, Troll sitting on my shoulder, constantly going, "Why does that work? Why why doesn't that work? Who's who else says so?" And so I'm I'm constantly when I'm with people, I'll I'll be wanting to know how do they do that? How does the company decide to go after that market? How, how did you decide to kill that product that nobody else would have killed? All those different things. So I'm I'm constantly ask, asking those questions. So I end up uh, creating this network of people who are intrigued, oftentimes by the questions I ask that may not lead to me doing business with them, but they know people and they'll make references or referrals to me to, or to their, their friends or, or acquaintances and say, you ought to talk to Ed. So most of my business comes by word of mouth. Most of my, most of my interaction comes because somebody knows somebody that says you ought to talk. And, and a lot of times, you know, it starts out, um, my business is built around the premise that the, uh, the meter doesn't start running when we talk. It, uh, we talk oftentimes. I might start doing work without the meter ever, running for a while because I need to know enough to know whether I can truly help. And also I think you can appreciate Jamie that, that for consultants to really be effective, there has to be a fit culturally. Ugh. The chemist got to be right. Yeah. There's got to be some mojo. And, uh, and so part of this is it's got to work for both parties that you, that you actually want to spend time with each other. That's a, that's good. Which which this is actually a nice segue because I wanted to go back to point number two: leadership capability. Yeah. Um, and culture. There's so many leaders right now that are so aggressive in the deliverable or the message that they want to deliver uh, for their sales for their growth and. Um, I don't think we've ever seen a more volatile market in the terms of employee retention. Uh, there was a stat that came out the other day and Lord almighty, this is going to kill me. I'm going to have to put it in the show notes. I forget where it was. Uh, 83% of our workforce in the United States mm-hmm. is not happy does not feel appreciated at their job. 83%. Yeah. I, I, I don't think that's unusual. Really? No, I don't think that's unusual. I also think we're right now with 3.6% unemployment. 
uh, I think you got a lot of people who are thinking differently about their job today than they did versus 2009 or 2010. Oh, that's, that's guaranteed. Yeah. So, you know, 2009 or 2010, people were thankful for a job. They were, you know, just glad to be working for a company that was in business and, and okay. Um, And today, I mean, nobody, nobody has all the people that they want or need, especially the good ones, Mm because they're all working and all the phones are ringing and they have choices. So I think it's easier for people to be more dissatisfied today than might, they might be a couple of years from now. We, after, after our next downturn in the economy. So that that doesn't, that doesn't surprise me. I, I am going to throw a concept out at you. And and sometimes I don't swim with the, the, with the whole uh, school in that I believe great leaders improve the value of their business year over year. And, and, and by doing, by doing so, they make it more sustainable. Right. You know, because the, the balance sheet shows that they're actually got more horsepower 12 months after the, the, you know, they, they begun the year, they literally have more assets or, or more customers or, or some, somehow the business has improved where it's actually a better business today than it was 12 months ago. Um, and since you're a hockey fan, I think you'll appreciate this. Um, it, it, the movie Miracle. Oh, love it. We just, we just saw it. Yeah. And you can't ever, you and I can't ever watch that movie too often. No. Because if you look at, the, at what Herb Brooks was willing to do to elevate the performance of both the individual, but then collectively to make that a true team so that they were better able to compete than they otherwise ever would have been. I mean, he was not well-liked. No. If, if we are to believe the movie, correct? Correct. Now, he was really well-respected and highly trusted by the time he was done with that team, but he was not somebody that was warm and fuzzy. You right, could, he's a tough cookie. He was aggressive. He was assertive to the point of being aggressive at times. Mm-hmm. And 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 I know I, I got to be careful, but but he was an he was a, a jerk. And I, I I would use other language, but I want to be respectful of the audience. So all I'm simply saying is sometimes I think you have a tremendously good culture, which he did. That was a great culture. There was it was toxic to anybody who shouldn't be there. I believe your culture should absolutely be toxic to people who should not be part of the company. Hundred percent. Okay, but that also means then that, that the leader has to have the courage. And and in, I and I think you I think of it as a great parent. I'm going to love you. I'm going to I'm going to be unconditional my love of you. But that also means I'm going to be brutally honest at times. That means I'm going to make you do stuff you don't want at times. Uh, I'm going to demand of you perfection or excellence in, in situations where you don't want to give it. Um, and, and, and so too often, I think the premise about a strong culture is that everybody loves each other. That mm-hmm. is not what a strong culture is, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. That's, that's an enabling culture. That is not necessarily the right culture for the business. I love that. And, and, and you're right. So a culture on Wall Street, on a big Wall Street firm, that culture is going to be a lot different than say, um, you know, the, 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 I don't know, uh, mom and pop deli, mom and pop deli, or, you know, the, the, the local craft store or something. There's going to be a totally different culture, but the, but that's where you said earlier, you have to buy into that. Yeah. And, 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 and we want that culture to be by design, not by default. Oh, powerful. We want that culture. We want that culture to be, developed 
because it's the right one to help us execute our strategy and because it's about it's also consistent with our vision and values of the ownership mm-hmm. because where we want to go not but not because it's most comfortable for the owners but because the owners recognize no that's the culture we need to make our business model our strategy actually work right and, and there is like i'm a big fan of leading with kindness but in sometimes you know that's not the culture that's okay yeah. Right? That's totally okay. That's just a culture. That's what I believe in. And that's, yeah. that's around that's, myself with people. Well, like. well, that's a culture that you need to have if you're going to be at your best. Yep. And, yep. and so you know that about yourself. So you could never work. You would never survive in a Nike. You would never survive in an Amazon. That's why I'm no longer in corporate America. <laughs> right. Because, because that's the cultures they intentionally feel they need in order to be able to execute their strategy. But that does not mean they're bad cultures. No. Uh, but 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 they are absolutely cultures that a lot of people that listen to you um, would not want to be part of. Exactly, and 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 I come in if if that's what you like doing, I'm clapping for you. Go for it, do it. It's just that's just not me. And I think that's the power of what we have is we have a belief system, and why not surround ourselves with people that can buy into that belief system so that we can empower one another. And here's what that also does that you kind of touched on a little bit earlier. And I'd love to hear your take on this. It empowers staff, team, directors to speak up and say something that they feel may change things or maybe shake things up a bit. But I want them to be able to do that and feel empowered to do that. And that's okay to do it. If it doesn't work, it doesn't work. Buck stops with me. I knock it down, but I do it in a kind manner. But I want people to feel comfortable to be able to speak up like that. Um, let me give you an instance where I wonder if we want that. Mm. If if your house is on fire and the fire truck pulls up and the uh, and it's burning, it's not smoking, it's burning. There is a real fire, and but there's a chance to save it. Do you want the fire chief running that crew to say? Hey, everybody gather around. Give me your input about what you think we ought to do here. And who hasn't got a chance to run the big hose lately? Right. I mean, what kind of culture do you want in that moment that team to operate under? I love this. This is a great example. That captain needs to get there and do whatever he can to take care of that. However, before this is ever done, that's why there's so much training, especially in fire departments. Correct. That they've discussed things like this and they know, hey, if we get into a situation, I'm going to take and make that decision. What do you guys think about that? Oh, I think it's great. Have you thought about this? Have you thought about that? Fantastic. And if you're not comfortable with that, if you're not comfortable that there'll be times where I'm telling you what to do, you shouldn't be here. Exactly. Okay. It, yes. So, so that, that I, again, so much of this is situational. Yeah. And, and, and what I, what frustrates me is that that especially small business owners create cultures that are right for them and make them comfortable rather than that support what they're actually trying to do in their business. If you think about it, what what the culture is about is creating a path of least resistance for how we want people to behave. It's behavior. You just nailed it. Yes. What we're trying to do is make it easier for people to walk down the path and behave in a manner that's consistent with how we want people to do their jobs. And, and yet so often what it really comes down to is no, the, the, the owner of the business says, I want a culture that supports who I am, even if at times 
without them having thought this, it actually incentivizes the person to behave in a way that isn't supporting what I really want. If I want, if I need my people to move quick and be decisive, and I create a culture where we always have to discuss things and arrive at decisions by a consensus, well, wait a minute, you just, you got a culture that's creating and making it simple for people to behave in a way that they won't be decisive. Yes, I, I totally agree. Totally agree. I think that's also too, I learned a, I learned a very big lesson. I learned a lesson that there's a big difference between a meeting and a briefing. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And what I found with that destroys culture, it'll destroy it faster than ever is to have a briefing disguised as a meeting. Meaning, Hey, we're going to shift and do this and do this today. Instead of having a meeting saying, here's my plans. Here's some of my thoughts. This is what I'm thinking about over the next three, four, five, six months. What do you guys see as challenges or obstacles that we might find along the way? Now, all of a sudden, they're motivated. They're getting buy-in. They feel good that, that I'm asking their opinions instead of saying, do this. Yeah. But when you do make that decision, you make it as the leader of that organization or as a leader of your team or whomever, manager, whatever it is, but you've already discussed it with everybody. You're not blindsiding somebody. Well, I, I, I want to say it one more time. It's something that kills culture is a briefing disguised as a meeting. Yes. Or is it? Yeah. Okay. A briefing yeah, disguised I, as a meeting. Yeah. Because essentially uh, I'm, I want to give you the impression I haven't made up my mind when I have. Okay. <laughs> I mean, if you think about it, if I come to you and say, what do you guys think when I ask your opinion, when in reality, it doesn't matter what your opinion is because I already made up my mind. That to me is what also kills a team spirit because uh, you, you, you act like you want my opinion when you've already decided. It's like when your wife or spouse, significant other comes to you and says, where do you want to go to for dinner tonight? Well, she's already made up her mind. She doesn't really, she already knows where she wants to go. So it really would be behoove me to say, gee, honey, I don't know. Where do you want to go? Because otherwise, if I tell her where I want to go, it's not going to be the right answer. And yeah. <laughs> right. Hey, I want, I want to back up to um, something you said at the beginning, life balance, not work-life balance. Yes. I like that. Oh. But I want to make sure I understand that. So elaborate for me before I editorialize, because I, I want to talk about that if we can. Most definitely. So one of the biggest things, uh, I always had this thing, I've always heard it from gurus and all that stuff, have a good work-life balance, a good work-life balance. Um, I can, it's the same as working on your business or in your business. I right, can go right. into that later, but I can't, I can't figure out why my work and my life is two separate things, especially from a cultural standpoint. Um, I think life is life. You have to work, you have to have a personal time, but I approach life and work in, in the same manner um, with integrity, with honesty, with all that kind of stuff, with happiness, um, all of that. So if, if, if I'm doing something personally, I'm there, I'm present, I'm in the moment. If I'm doing something at work, I'm there, I'm present, I'm in the moment. That's what I mean by that whole work-life balance thing. I just like life balance. I think work-life balance is a myth. Mm. I, I think if you're, if you're a business owner, if you're the president, you're the CEO, or if you're a small business owner and operator, and I'm talking under $5 million, if you have that kind of business, the premise that you're going to be balanced is irrational for a couple of reasons. Number one, 
the whole premise of starting a business is irrational. Yeah, it is. Right? Most, most, most businesses that are started don't succeed. They go out of business. Uh, uh, interesting statistic I came across is four-tenths of 1% of all businesses make it to $10 million. Less Can you say that again? Four-tenths of 1% of all businesses in the U.S. make it to $10 million in revenue. Wow. So think about most of us that have small businesses have bought ourselves a job. Because yeah. if we went to sell the business, most of us don't. Most of us, if if we were to sell the business without us being part of it, it would be worth less. Yeah. You're, agree? You're, 100% I agree. Okay. So we really don't have a business in the sense that we could just turn it over to somebody else and it would still produce as much value as if we stayed with it. Exactly. So if, if we think about that, then it, it makes no it, it would be silly for us not to recognize we've chosen a lifestyle. Yeah. We have chosen a lifestyle that says we have created this thing that allows us to be in business, create a living for ourselves, a standard living that's pretty darn nice for most of us. We, we have a relative amount of freedom. Um, but that also means we have to think about it a lot. Yeah. We're, we're, I don't want to say we're consumed by it, but we feel compelled to think about it other than nine to five. And oh, so, there. so I grew up on a farm. Farming is a lifestyle. Being the small business owner is a lifestyle. And anybody who thinks that you're going to turn that off and you're going to be able to compartmentalize that, that's irrational. So I, I love the, I love the term life balance because that that's more about a holistic view and, and where does this fit into my life and the approach I bring to that. One of the things we used to do when our kids were little is we set goals as a family for what would happen when the business had certain successes. If we got this client, if we reached this certain plateau, well, that meant we as a family were going to do something. And that meant that the kids understood then when dad's door was closed, that they needed to be quiet and not come in. Because that was dad's time to work on whatever he needed to do so that they understood. Or if I wasn't going to be home for a night, they understood that, that they may not have known what I was doing, but they understood that there was a reward if that was, was successful. You know, mm -hmm. dad was on a trip and he sold a deal or whatever it might be. So part of that to me is, is the life balance you're talking about that we talk about as a family. What does it mean for, for us to to have a member of our family who's doing this work that they do. Yeah. It comes down to communication, right? Oh, and yeah. And managing expectations and holding each other accountable for that. Yeah, it really does. It's the same thing. Uh, 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 so I went on to a work trip a couple weeks ago, went to Florida and I had to, I had to do a little talk. Before we went on that trip, because my fiance came with me and she works with me here, but I, I let her know these are the responsibilities. These are the things that I want to accomplish during this trip. And I wanted to let you know, because I wanted your feedback on that. Plus, um, you know, I'd love to hang out with you at some point, you know, maybe we can go down to the beach or we can do yep. some, some point along the way. And that way we didn't get there and it didn't blindside her. And I do the same approach in business and it's, it's out of admiration for the people yep. I work with and it's out of admiration for my fiance. I love her to death, but I, I don't want something 
there's that briefing meeting type thing, you know, uh, that I have to take into consideration. So I, yeah, I agree with what you said a hundred percent. I, I just, I love the all inclusive nature and the, 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 the way you're, you're phrasing it to me, that just makes so much more sense. I had a, I had a former, uh, client and, and a guy who was a, a friend, uh, that, that he said, and he, and he was part of a, a fair, he was a part of a $600 million company. And he said as leaders in that organization, he said, work-life balance was, was an irrational concept as well. But, but he said the key as a, if you want to have a healthy family is to not always be out of balance in the same area. He said, so in, in his mind, and I, that's an, another way I think of looking at it is simply saying, look, there are times when your job's going to consume you and, and, and it just will. Whether you're, a, whether you're the owner or whether you're part of a big company, your job's going to consume you. And there are times where your family should consume you. And, and so your job is to recognize and not always be out of balance in the same area. So the whole idea is you have to have the wherewithal, the discipline, the capacity to turn stuff up or down as need to, to make sure that you're given the right attention to, to everything that you need to manage as a human being. So, I love that. But to me, that's the, the that's what I think you're saying. That's how I'm interpreting it. That, I think that's a much. I like life balance. It's not work life balance. It's are are you are you doing all the things that you should in all the areas of your life? That's what you need to pay attention to. I love it. You 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 made it much more eloquent in your delivery than what I did. I know what I'm trying to think, and it's half the time. It's like I see a nice piece of art on the wall, and man, that is just beautiful. I know it is, but I can never draw. It's right? so, a <laughs> same kind of thing there. Um, I want to say one more thing uh, before we go on earlier uh, or before uh, we, we wrap this up. You said good leadership earlier, unless they have good leadership. Um, can you maybe tell me what you meant by good leadership as opposed to, I'm assuming, bad leadership? I, I don't remember the context we were speaking, so forgive me. But... We're talking about leadership capable. Um, yeah the capabilities of leadership, your second point there. I yeah. mean, here, good leadership. Because one of the things I, I do on this podcast is I like taking ambiguity out of the equation. Yeah. And I, I don't like leaving things so vague okay. uh, or open to interpretation. Right. I wonder if you might just define that. Yeah, I, well, first of all, I, I was referring, making reference to the fact that so many people see good good leadership or great leadership in the context of purely how you treat people. And, you know, whether it's, uh, um, you know, we talked about the idea that um, you need to be involved with others who are, who are going to um, approach this from a, 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 a genuine love for others and a concern for others. Um, and, and I was using the, uh, the example that I think Herb Brooks genuinely, genu genuinely loved his people, but it, what doesn't mean it was always nice to him. Yeah. And so you, you got to love me enough to tell me the truth, be hard on me, do what you need to do to get the most out of me. Um, at the same time, doing it in a way where I would always respect you. I, no matter how, how angry you get at mom and dad, you should always respect them. Right. Mm. Mm. I mean, it, I don't know if you've ever had teenagers, but, but the whole idea of teenagers, there's going to be moments where they do not like mom and dad, but we have to behave in a way where they would never stop respecting us. Yep. Even when they're so angry with us that they want to leave home and probably should. Tough love. Okay. Tough yeah. Love. So, so, so to me, I want to make it very clear that I, I, uh, one, I think great leaders um, 
have the ability to do what their people need them to do to get the best out of them. Got it. Okay. So that's one. Um, I think for it to be sustainable, it has to be for something beyond making money. So if the only reason you're doing what you're doing to get me to perform is to help you make more money, that's not sustainable in the long run because I'll recognize I'll, all I am is a tool in your scheme to line your pocket. So if, you're, if your whole motivation is money, that's, that's only going to work temporarily or as long as you pay me enough to, to put up with whatever you have me do. So if you want something that's sustainable, then we have to be building something or achieving something beyond financial performance for me to give you my very best effort. So that's second thing. First is it's, it's you're willing to do what you need to to get the best out of me. Secondly, we're doing something that has a cause or a purpose beyond making money that, that we both have bought into. Number three, if you're my leader, you have to be highly self-aware. You got to know what you're good at, what you're bad at, what your biases are. And, um, and, and also, that means that if you know your weaknesses, then you will either mitigate that by finding other people to support you who overcome those weaknesses, or you'll start to work on overcoming your weaknesses. Most companies, um, the higher you go in an organization, the less the company needs more of your strengths. I'll say that one more time. The higher you ascend in the in the uh, company arc, uh, hierarchy. Yeah, the hierarchy, the the higher you ascend the hierarchy, the less the company needs more of your strengths as a performer. Well, so whatever you're good at and great at, the company does not need more of that when you get to be the president or the CEO. The company needs less of whatever I'm bad at. Mm. they need me to be less of what my weaknesses are or overcome my weaknesses for the company to get better performance. So one of the problems I have with the strength finders assessment, if you've heard of strength finders from Gallup is it gives the impression that um, forget it, focus on your strengths. Don't worry about your weaknesses. That's actually not what they say, but that's what, what a lot of people interpret from that is, Focus on your strengths. Don't worry about your weaknesses. That is really powerful for a brand new manager who doesn't know what they're good at or not, right? Somebody who lacks self-confidence needs that. But managers at the highest levels don't lack self-confidence. They lack humility. They lack self-awareness. They sometimes come across as arrogant, even though they're not. But they think the rules that apply to others don't apply to them. Or they have a rationale for why they shouldn't have to change what in, in the way that their people think they should change. and and, and so. That one of the things that great leaders universally have done has figured they have figured out what their strengths and weaknesses are, and they know that. Now, it doesn't mean again that they're people we want to put our arms around and hug, but they at least know what they're not good at, and then they mitigate that somehow. Yes, I love I, that. I think Steve Jobs knew he was a jerk. Oh yeah, he was not blind to that. So my point is, he was highly self-aware. Yeah. Self, you know what? Um, and I, I love that. And I think being highly self-aware comes with experience, um, comes with confidence. Um, and, and I, but I definitely think it's something that can be learned. Oh yeah. But I think maybe even more for 
maybe more for people that are, are a bit more shy and stuff like that. It's harder for them to lead because they, they may not be accepting of their self-awareness. They may think they have to know how to do things, but they're, but they're not. And, and I, the, the, the thing that I find challenging, um, let, me, let me give you a good example. Uh, I found two of my attributes through disc assessments, through Enneagrams, things like that. Yeah. Um, I found out that my two weakest things were, and I read this and I didn't believe it, so I retook the, the, the assessments and it, it was the same thing. Um, that I lacked follow-up and I lacked attention to details. That means you're an entrepreneur. And I was like, how, well, <laughs> and I'm like, how in the heck is that possible? How did I get here with that? And then doggone it, if they're right, that's right. any challenges I've had, I've looked back on. Yep. I didn't follow up properly or, Hey, I didn't, you know, read between the lines there, or I didn't dot the I's or cross the T's. So I did exactly what you said. I went out and identified someone that was very passionate about follow-up and, and details so that they could um, in, come to work with me understanding that those were my downfalls. Um, I have a friend and a, a, a guy I have a great deal of respect for. His name is Scott McGowan. Scott runs a very uh, uh, successful business. Um, he'd be a good guy for you to have on. Uh, uh, that's called McGowan Brave Vendor, and they're an employee benefits company out of Dayton, Ohio. And one thing Scott has done routinely, I assume he still does this. I haven't, I haven't asked him if he quit doing it for any reason, but I thought it was really powerful. He would go to each of the people that work for him and say, tell me what you hate about your job. Mm. Tell, me what, tell me what you love about your job. And then, and then he would try to find ways to help that person spend more time doing what they loved and help them find ways to not spend as much time doing what they hated about their job, which I think was part, partly a way for them to become more self-aware. Now, there are still times they would still have to do parts of their job they didn't love. But th what, think about the message that was being sent by Scott to them as their boss, as their leader. Really he was, cares. Yeah, given the chance to weigh in on that, right? Yeah. It's so, empowering. It really is. And, and also, I think part of the time you would, you would also have to come back to, I think if, if you said, I don't like details, I don't like dealing with minutia, boring stuff, I think there would still have to be a conversation between you and I where I'd have to say, but you understand if you want to elevate to this next position, you're going to have to do some of that. And, and, and so it's okay if you don't like it, but you also have to understand the consequence if you refuse to do that. Well, that, and that's the difference between working on your business and working yeah. in your business. I was a big fan of the four-hour work week, working on your business, delegating, da-da-da-da. Well, if I didn't go back and create my systems and my workflows, like you said, when you wrote your book, how do you get that stuff out of your head? How yeah. do you get to the point where you work on your business? You have to put in the work. There's, some, there's sweat equity there. That's working in. That's doing the details. And, and sometimes that's not too fun. You have to earn the right to have a business. I love that. Oh you have gosh. to earn the right to have a business. You, that is not something that is bestowed upon you. And even if the market allows you to, unsuccess, I mean, to successfully go from startup to five or $6 million in three or four years, 
well, it's not because you were that good. It was because of the market. You happen to have the right thing at the right time. The market will let you go there. It's not because you got a business. Yeah. It's not going to, it's not going to sustain if, if, if you walked away. So, um, yeah, I, we all, we all pay our dues. It's really a question. Have we paid our right dues, the right dues to have the business that we want? I love it. I love it. Well, so Ed, how do people get in touch with you? Um, how do they learn more about you? The, the Epley group, all one word, E P P L E Y the Epley group, uh, com is my website. Um, at that website, a couple of things can happen. One, if you want a specific topic, I have, six disciplines of professional management that I've written different uh, short papers about PowerPoint presentations, about leadership, about structure, about culture and the different things. Um, There's also uh, a a free assessment that lets people rack and stack and see how they're doing in each of the six disciplines of professional management that I learned through my work at Aileron. Uh, Aileron was started by Clay Mattil, who was the owner of uh, Imes Pet Foods. I don't know if you've heard of them or not, Jamie. Oh yeah. 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 but Clay sold out to Procter and Gamble in 1999 and um, a $2.3 billion sale. And he put a large chunk of that um, in excess of hundred million dollars into creating a campus where business owners, especially small business owners can come and learn how to install professional management in their business. So I teach that for them. Wow. And, and, and so leadership uh, strategy, people development, organization performance, uh, structure and culture of the six disciplines, which I, it's what I wrote about in my book, because that provided me a framework when I got exposed to professional management, that really provided the skeleton on which I could hang the things I've learned about business in four years, which caused me to write the book, Let's Be Clear. And so you can get that book at my website or go on Amazon and get it. Um, so my hope is that people want to start up a dialogue. Uh, I, I can't tell you how much I enjoyed the conversation with you, Jamie. This is oh, yeah. another one. I'd love to, I'd love to spend more time with you and dive into any topics. Um, your curiosity matches mine. I think maybe you're more curious than I am, which is a little scary. <laughs> um, so we won't lack, we won't lack for, for oh, um, no. driving the conversation. I like the hows and the whats and the whens and the wheres. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, uh, and I'm on LinkedIn and I publish a lot on LinkedIn all the time. Okay. So that's kind of my, that's kind of my, if, if people want uh, the Chinese water torture, follow me on LinkedIn. <laughs> well, that's fantastic. Well, uh, uh, congratulations on authoring the book. Um, Thank you. I'm, I'm, just, I'm so impressed. I see people that write books and the amount of time they take and the research and the life experience that goes into it. I just uh, hats off to you for starting something and finishing it and uh delivering it and uh i i can't wait to get it um i'm a huge fan of 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 reading so i will definitely be reading that myself and we'll be sharing it with our audience so we'll leave a link here in the show notes thank you i appreciate it for sure and that's the epleygroup.com forward slash let's be clear book and in between each word is is a hyphen so let's dash be dash clear dash book yeah yeah that's it well what would you like to say before we wrap up um, Clay, Clay always says this, and, and since most of the people listening here are, are small business owners, I, I feel compelled to repeat this. Um, thank you for put you, putting your capital at risk to employ other people. Um, that, that is a, a moral thing to do, and maybe the most moral thing you can do when you, when you think about it as a small business owner, that you've, you've literally put your capital at risk to create opportunities for others. And, and then if you think about with that, 
if, if, if when people start to depend on us for their livelihood, then I think the additional responsibility beyond that is to be really good at running a business. Mm-hmm. And so, so people like you who help creating a plat, create a platform for those discussions to take place to cause, you know, part of what we want to do today is cause people to be a little bit uncomfortable. We want to, we wanted them to uh, question, well, geez, maybe I ought to do something. These two guys seem pretty serious about this. And, and, and maybe what we are being, and hopefully we are being the catalyst for somebody to, to have the courage to take some steps to run a more successful business. So what I want them to do is to um, be, be committed to that higher cause that this is not just a lifestyle they purchase, but they have a responsibility to do something with it. We, we are stewards of whatever uh, things God has granted us with. Right. And, and, and there only are, 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 if, if we operate under the premise that there are possessions, that's an illusion. They're, they're just, uh, they've been granted to us for a particular period of time. So our job is to do something with them that makes life better for not only those immediate, immediately touching us, but those who follow us. So to me, that's the other thing is, is let's move. Let's do, let's be courageous. Let's take some action, run a better business. I love it. And Ed, thank you so much. Uh, inspiring talk. And so I was excited to talk with you for, I'm really excited to talk to you again at some future point. <laughs> thank you. You, you, you teed me up very well, Jamie. And, and uh, I will gladly talk to you anytime, any place. You just tell me when. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much. Well, Hang on for one second. We'll go ahead and wrap up this episode. Uh, you can go learn more at the epleygroup.com. Um, get his book. Get Ed's book. Thanks, That's a clear book. Yeah, thank you. Um, so all the show notes will be there. Uh, this is Culture Eat Strategy by myself, Jamie J. I just want to say a big shout out and a thank you uh, to Ed Epley for uh, stopping by and sharing his uh, his wealth of wisdom. Uh, I really enjoyed this. I hope you got something out of it. Um, I love these conversations. It drives me. It's, it's everything to me. And I hope that at some level you can embrace culture um, in, in, in the behavior that goes along with that and the responsibility that you have as business owners. I absolutely love this. You have to earn the right to have a business. And thank you for putting your capital at risk for referring others. Um, I'll be quoting those quite often. I'm sure if I might borrow those, Ed. <laughs> um, fantastic. Please. Again, my name is Jamie J. This is Culture Eat Strategy. If you are in a growth spurt and you are finding it, you're missing meetings or you're late to meetings and you're working on the weekends and things are going crazy and you are getting very frustrated. And as Ed said earlier, uh, you create the job for yourself and you're just, you're just ready to take the next step and focus on things that you can actually have some fun with, um, you might consider hiring a virtual assistant. You can go to bottleneck.online to learn more in full transparency. That's my company. However, I embrace culture like there's nobody's business. And I absolutely love it. So I hope that you get a chance to, uh, to go there and check it out if you're experiencing those troubles. And for sure, go check out the Epley Group Dot com and that's T-H-E-E-P-P-L-E-Y-G-R-O-U-P.com for those of you that are listening. If you get the chance, uh, thank you for listening. Go to iTunes and uh, tell me how you really feel about this thing. Give us ratings or review, but go check us out uh, and, and you'll see all the links in the show notes there. And just in case you didn't understand the spelling because you're listening to this on your morning drive, 
visit us there. I'll have everything uh, ready for you to rock and roll, including his book, Let's Be Clear. Thank you so much for tuning in. Have a fantastic day. We'll talk to you again soon. 